This is the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. In each episode, we spotlight the numerous efforts around the state by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. During this episode, we talk about bio-strip-till, We discuss how the practice can optimize the nutrient cycle with precision planting, the benefits and challenges of bio-strip-till, and the equipment you can use to get started. Here's your host, Elise Koning. Hello, and welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast. I'm so glad you've joined us for today's discussion about bio-strip-till. This is a concept I'm looking forward to learning about as we're talking about nutrient optimization and putting cover crops right where we want them. To help us understand this practice, we have with us today Barry Fisher. He's a soil health specialist and farmer. We also have John Pike. He's a research agronomist who specializes in cover crop systems and nutrient management, and he's also a farmer. Thanks so much for joining us today, John and Barry. Let's dive right in. Barry, can you introduce this concept of bio-strip till and explain why it's important for soil health? The term bio-strip till probably began several years ago, maybe as many as 10 years ago, when people started integrating and and planting cover crops uh, in alternating rows where you would have a row of a winter kill cover crop like a daikon radish or something like that that kind of heaved and kind of almost worked the soil or loosened the soil and that would be the that would be the place where you would you would come back the next spring and plant your corn row on the alternating rows we would have overwintering cover crops that would keep a living root in the soil and provide a lot of the uh, more additional benefits that we expect from cover crops so uh, that was probably how it began, and, and you started hearing about it probably up to 10 years ago. Uh, the thing that has evolved since then is more of an understanding of how cover crops interrelate with your your next crop in your crop rotation. So, for instance, if corn is the next crop in your crop rotation, we can be far more prescriptive in the cover crops that we select and precision place them and plant them where they can be provide the maximum benefit to the next crop in the crop rotation for example corn we could uh, make sure that we don't have anything in that row where we can manage let have less residue make sure we get a better stand of corn in that row but then at the same time we don't have a cover crop growing in that row that can immobilize especially nitrogen and sulfur and phosphorus and some new key nutrients for that corn plant if we can move those kinds of cover crops keep them away from that row and then possibly substitute some some beneficial plants like uh, a clover or a legume that provides nitrogen near the row of the corn where the row of the corn is going to be then we can really uh optimize the benefits of the of the of the cover crop for the next crop and the crop rotation and of course the ultimate goal is uh, not only in many cases and john will talk about it but but in many cases we not only 
do not have any kind of a yield reduction from planting corn in that cover crop scenario, but we're actually seeing some evidence that we can even increase yields in that scenario where we have cover crops really complementing them. So, so it's it's kind of a combination today what what most folks are doing that it's it's not necessarily uh, a strip till event a loosening of the soil so much as it's optimizing the placement of your cover crops for the next crop in the crop rotation. So before we dive more into the specifics of how we do that optimization, John, you've done biostrip till for several years. How did you get started with biostrip till? I was uh, I was first introduced to the concept or the the idea of this through the questioning of a farmer that had been a long time no-tiller and had utilized cover crops extensively and uh, he he had had a, a good had developed a good system but he had like others had had struggled to get to the point where that system really worked for him and uh, he he had seen the advantages on his operation from utilizing no-till and and the combination of cover crops and was interested in looking at options to help with the early adoption of cover crops uh, better and kind of offset some of the challenges that many were uh, uh, used to hearing about as far as uh, getting started in in this so what his idea was was to develop a strategy to precision plant cover crops uh, in relationship to where the corn row was going to be planted the following spring after the the cover crops had been established in that precision planting method in the fall. So uh, we looked at at several different options and I think one of the big things that that we found was is that uh, you know while uh, planting no-till soybeans into a cover crop, especially cereal rye, works very well. Soybeans are adaptable. Uh, you can get the uh, cereal rye established in a wide seeding window through through the fall, and there, there's just a lot of uh, cushion there to make that into a good experience. Corn is much less forgiving. So when we, but when we look at the importance of keeping cereal rye and some grasses in our, our cover crop mixes uh, ahead of corn, sometimes that uh, that can present some problems with handling that residue, especially when a when a farmer is first adopting cover crops and getting things set up. So uh, we came up with the idea where we would plant these cover crops in the middle of where the corn row was going to, going to go. And we even segregated the species of cover crops within the relationship to where the corn row was going. So we looked at various treatments where we had either crimson clover or hairy vetch that was planted seven and a half inches off of the zone where the corn row would be planted. And then in the center of the of the 30 inch corn row, we went with a, a relatively high uh, seeding rate mix of uh, annual ryegrass, cereal rye, and whatever that legume was. So we were getting the advantage of all of the cover crops, but we were positioning them to where we we could maximize that advantage and minimize any challenge that we might have as opposed to a, a solid seeded uh, broadcast uh, cover crop 
seeding. And we've seen some pretty good results with that. In some cases, in the strip where the cornrow went, we left it uh, unseeded to where it was just sort of an environment of uh, no tilling into soybean stubble. And in other treatments, we looked at seeding uh, one one row of an oat radish mix that would be winter terminated right where the where the cornrow was. And, We've seen some pretty interesting uh, interactions with, with that and some promising, uh, I think, uh, uh, information to kind of build on as, as we look for better strategies move, moving forward. So I'd be interested to hear more about the precision side of things and what kinds of benefits and results you've seen from planting the cover crops directly where the corn's going to grow. Is there more nutrient availability for the corn, um, more water availability? What does that look like as you plant your crop or as you harvest your crop? Well, in, in planting, it has worked very well because we've, we've got a situation where just about any planter that is capable of planting into uh, no-till soybean stubble can navigate the precision uh, uh, row zone that we leave with the with the planted cover crops and it's it's been working very well i think one of the most interesting things that that i have taken out of this is that a lot of times when we establish a cover crop uh project uh, whether it's in-depth research or just a comparison on a farm it's more c- common to look at it in the early transition stage so you'll go from a conventionally tilled fill uh, tilled field and then start no-tilling and look at different mixes on this. And in this case, uh, I was working on a field that had been no-tilled and cover cropped relatively uh, long-term, but not in in this manner. So we had uh, the soil structure was improved. A lot of the nutrient imbalances over, overall were were sort of uh, mitigated a little bit in this in this field over uh, what we would have seen if we would have been in, in the first year of transition from a conventional uh, tillage system. And every year that we have run this study, we have seen an advantage to any of the cover crop treatments and mixes that we have done as opposed to our check, which was uh, no-till soybeans uh, stubble that had no cover crop put on it. So it was almost like in this in, in these situations, when we took the cover crop away, that we were seeing a yield reduction uh, over the managed cover crop system that, that we were doing. So I, I think that's that's been very interesting, and that points to a lot of promising uh, opportunities as we fine-tune this and, uh, and look to expand the uh, utilization of, of that. Barry, can you add more about what kinds of results you've been seeing? You've worked with farmers across several states. What experience have you had and what have you seen with farmers using the cover crops in a precision system? Well, it's kind of uh, what John said. If we see problems that that producers are having, particularly in those early years of transition, a lot of it has to do with they're trying to no-till into cover crops when their soil hasn't began the kind of nutrient cycling that we see in more mature systems. So uh, in those situations, um, any extra immobilization or nutrient uptake by the cover crop can lead to uh, 
sometimes reduced yields or or difficulties for that producer getting a good stand and those kinds of things. So what this does, and and since we have the new the precision capabilities that we do today, um, we can we can uh, get these cover crops planted in a way in a manner so that we really uh, can accomplish the kind of the benefits from cover crops very early on because we're not the cover crop isn't uh, competing for nutrients that the soil normally supplies or that the producers used to having supply through their tillage you know when when we do tillage it's it's not often talked about but when we're doing tillage we are releasing nutrients from the organic matter when we stir up all that organic matter in the soil surface co2 is released but as the co2 is released it leaves behind plant available nutrients so when we make a transition it's very critical to understand the change in nutrient cycles and so by precision placing the cover crops where like as john outlined we can not only not have them compete for nutrients but have them possibly even provide additional nutrients in more of a time-released, a spoon-fed kind of a manner. So we see pretty immediate benefits from the cover crops that we want that we're wanting benefits from anyway. So, so that's the that's the primary benefit that I see. And and John, as John already outlined, any planter that is capable of no-tilling into soybean stubble, which means nearly any planter on the market today uh, should be able to get a really good stand in this scenario where where we've got a either a row where where cover crops have winter killed and left the soil really loose or we've just precision planted those cover crops in a way that you've got bare residue free soil to plant into so so just really helps us especially for those transition folks you know that are transitioning out of a uh, of a more full width tillage system but as we get better at this and more prescriptive with it and and can use precision planting the way some of john john's plot data shows even in a mature system it's kind of like how we're going to take cover crops to that next level of management and next level of benefits in addition to the nutrient management issues that, that Barry has uh, highlighted, we also are able to kind of capitalize on the moisture management involved in that to the benefit of both ways. And in uh, any time we're in a, in a no-till system, especially with, with cover crops, early in the season, we're, we're usually combating more uh cool cooler and warmer soils at planting and that can slow early early development and as we add more residue that can kind of uh, magnify that but yet later in the season that uh, residue and soil cover really comes back to be a big benefit by conserving moisture in the heat and the uh, the dryness of our late summers like we face in in this region of the of the country and also the it mitigates the uh, or moderates the soil temperatures and i think that's one thing that that's that's really critical that we overlook and it comes about because we have better moisture conservation 
but the temperature conservation in the soil and how that impacts the biological processes through the later part of the growing season and how that ties into overall nutrient management at that time when the when the plants are really in that peak uh, period of uptake is is really critical so by having the the low residue zone that we plant into in the in this biostrip till precision planted system uh and right next to higher uh, biomass areas in between the row uh, that are that are wetter by just having that that strip in between the uh, the the cover crops where the corn is going to plant even though there's not any biomass on the surface we find by by digging and looking at the root structure and and what's going on below the soil that the roots of our uh, ryegrass and and, and uh, cereal rye are actually expanding out from that row middle and they meet underneath that so we can use that living root in a time when it's a, a relatively wet season we've seen where that will help to dry out that row zone to where we can get in there and do a better job of planting earlier than, than we would if it was just a straight no-till field and if we get into a situation where it's an excessively wet spring or i'm sorry dry like it was this year we've got the ability to terminate that cover crop early and and then when we've still got the the biomass inside of the row that's going to help us back in the in the later part of the of the season so i think that ability to better manage our our moisture is something that's just as important as the as the nutrient management components that we've talked about don't you think, John, that we're also still uh, getting a lot of the weed control benefits and, and improved weed weed control with the cover crops? It seems like you know you would think that bare area in the middle might be okay. We're giving up some weed control, but I haven't seen that. Have you? No, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. That that is one thing that has really been a, a striking observation in every year that, that we've done this is that on, in our checks we have a good mix of the common winter annuals that that we would see the mare's tail and the hen bit and chickweed and those, those types of of weeds that are uh, growing rampant out across a lot of the field that haven't been controlled with a with a herbicide pass and in in that row it seems like that having the cover crops grow nearby uh, there's enough competition there that we've kept the weed pressure down in that row zone. So that's been a, a very beneficial thing too. So it sounds like there's a whole stack of benefits to this system. One thing I'm interested in is what do the crop yields look like within this system? Can you go more into detail about what those crop yields look like? Sure, I, I would be I would be glad to. And, and every year that we've done this, and now uh, we're we're running this on two 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 different locations in two counties that are about sixty miles apart, and <clears throat> we, we're we're seeing similar results about every every year. Uh, it's been kind of a running trend that our check that doesn't have any cover crop involved in it at all, uh, it will run uh, usually five to ten bushels less. Than, than where we have any of our other cover crop uh, uh, treatments. And then uh, depending on whether we're dealing with crimson clover or hairy vetch as the, <clears throat> as the legume, in a couple of situations, we've seen, we've seen yield advantages to the, the, the cover crop uh, 
precision biotill system up into the 20 plus bushel uh, advantage. So that's been something that, that's kind of a running running trend. We'll have, depending on, on the year and, and how the uh, the timing of the cover crop seeding and the development and everything, there's been a little bit of give and take on whether the, the treatments with crimson clover or hairy vetch uh, <clears throat> are more advantageous. But either one of those has been an advantage over no cover crop in these, in these systems. So we're looking at uh, yields that are uh, in the 211, 213 bushel uh, range, as I'm looking, and this is on a on on a four-year average of the uh, of the plot. So we're looking at over 200 bushel average uh, on the on the hairy vetch treatments, uh, about 200 with crimson clover a little bit, and I think that has to do in our case with the the, the timing of our of our planting. We're we're getting just a little bit more uh, nitrogen contribution out of the hairy vetch than than crimson clover. But interestingly, I and I've been challenged uh, by this and say, well, since you don't have a legume growing on your check, uh, that nitrogen contribution that you're getting in the cover crop treatments is making the difference of the yield and. We run uh, nitrogen trials on both farms uh, that are multi-rate replicated nitrogen trials just in the in a close proximity to this, and we keep the our planned nitrogen application uh, at relatively high rates within our uh, range of uh, of recommendation in both of both of these areas. So we know uh, that we've got plenty of nitrogen on, and the the impact of the nitrogen difference is is minimal. So it's got more to do with the other cover crop interactions and probably moisture and uh, temperature moderation than it does with anything to do with, with nitrogen the way that we've run this this far. So it sounds like there's a lot of different variations. I don't know if that's the right word or not in what you can see based on what the species of cover crop is. Am I thinking of that right? It, it it is, and I think that anytime we deal with a with thinking about a cover crop mix, uh, it's just not a thing that we do. Every every species of cover crop that we would include in a mix should have a have a purpose, and and we always need to have uh, grasses and legumes mixed, and uh, some of those can have uh, need to be managed differently than than others in in a lot of cases, but. Uh, to get early season uh, ground cover, to maximize our erosion control through the winter, and then the other nutrient loss issues, that mix is is important. Uh, and uh, so we've got to have our our plan together to have that dialed in to best benefit the the corn crop that's that's following that. And I think this gives us the ability to do that in a number of of different ways. One thing I was also curious about is, is this a system that you can graze livestock in? And have you done any studies on that? We have not had grazing uh, livestock incorporated into this. I think that uh, there, there's no reason why it, it couldn't. Uh, so that, that option would, would be there. Cool. Well, at least it's probably, it should be noted too, where John's doing a lot of this work and that whole region of Southern Illinois these are on some pretty heavy soils that I would say in recent history, 
most people would have believed these are too wet to even have success no-tilling in those. You know, there's there's fragipans below a lot of those soils, and they're thought to be, you know, very poorly, you know, not very poorly drained officially from a soil, but but kind of poorly drained, hard to manage the water in those. And so a lot of people would think, I really can't no-till these because they're too heavy of soils. But I think it's very interesting that the the folks that are using cover crops in those soils down there are doing it with with great success. You know, even John's John's data that he just outlined, it's still even even the full full width seeded cover crops are exceeding the the no the no cover crop plots, the check plots. So uh, the beauty is cover crops are helping these soils perform and function, uh, even even full full width seeded and then john's found a way to uh take the cover crop benefits to the next level with the precision seeding you're listening to the hat soil health podcast brought to you by the conservation cropping systems initiative with barry fisher a soil health specialist and farmer and john pike a research agronomist who also is a farmer Barry, you used um, the word transition a few times earlier in the podcast, and you're talking about people might not think that this is going to work in these type of soils. Can you both go into how a farmer would start into this system, whether they're transitioning from conventional or want to add this on to their soil health system that they already have? What kind of equipment are you going to need? How are you going to use the precision? Uh, what kind of decisions are you looking at to get this established? Well, I'll start, but then John John can talk about some of the equipment that's being used in that area down there. A lot of farmers have made mo- different modifications that that uh, that he can probably share with. But I think for the for the person that's that's trying to transition from, let's say, a, more of a full till system or at least an alternating, they're no tilling every other year. Uh, for those folks, we still think that I would say, uh, I think John will will probably agree with this. We still think that uh, getting a rye or a ryegrass cover crop after corn, where you can no-till just full width, full, you know, the full width uh, seed seed cereal rye and, and and or annual ryegrass or something like that ahead of soybeans. Soybeans just seem to do really well in that environment. So that's a good step in place. But then when you come back to the next year of corn, when you're in that transition period, we still think that you're you're going to need to offset some of the, the immobilization of nitrogen because you're no longer tilling the soil. Make sure you've got starter nitrogen on your planter so that you can provide some early nitrogen in that scenario and then start start working in these cover crops and if you have a way to uh, set your drill so that you know you can leave those rows where the corn is going to be planted open without cover crops in those specific areas then that'd be a place to start and that would take very minimal um, uh, equipment changes in a lot of cases so and then john john can tell you how other options as far as uh, modifying equipment to get the the precision placement in 
in, in integrated. Sure. I think the one of the big factors is here that in this day and age, most of our farm operations are operating with some form of, of auto steer. So that capability is there in a, in a lot of cases to precision plant and, and lay the field out accordingly so it can be uh, followed the, the next year pretty pretty effectively with the equipment that, that we have. Uh, as far as seeding uh, equipment, we've used uh, a drill in some of our uh, our test plots uh, and that has that has worked very well. Our plots, the way that they're laid out, when I it makes for a pretty nice uh, picture to for winter presentations and things. And I get a, que- a lot of questions about, well, how would I do that, and is that practical to do on a full sc- scale uh, field situation? And we've been doing this for long enough that there have been several instances where neighboring farmers or other farmers in the in the region have come and visited our, our field day and they they've seen enough uh positives to, to look into this and they've been pretty ingenious about ways that they have gone about making it work some have taken the green drill that they've normally seeded their cover crop with and they're they're just covering up holes in relationship to where the uh, so the drill will plant in relation to where that corn row is going to be next year uh, other other people have taken uh, 40 foot air seeders and they have shut shut off various rows to make the the skip patterns in there and looked at different mixes and and uh, way, ways to do that but turned out very good and it's in, interesting and great though that that many of the farmers that have have worked to try this and make it work on their farms they've also seen the yield advantages that we have in our smaller plot of replicated uh, work so you know it's just not something that we're getting the data out of on a small scale system it's something that can be uh, replicated pr- pretty effectively and i think to take this out into the next realm i in in many cases uh because i'm here in southern illinois and we grow more acres of cover crops and and that type of management on our highly erodible uh, soils has been more common uh for several years where it's not in the central part of the state uh the central part of the state can k- still benefit off of that because we do the same uh, water quality and nutrient management and nitrogen management work overall statewide here and all of our nutrient management and water quality research points to the conclusion that whatever losses that we're experiencing now can pretty much be mitigated if we have more acres of cover crops less tillage and a sound nitrogen management plan so I think it, it, and it's important to look for ways then to effectively help adoption take place in the areas where cover crops aren't as common. And I think that if we look at uh, taking this type of, of precision uh, cover crop planting and, and pairing that with strip tillage in, in some cases, that that can present the, the best case uh, scenario for for both worlds to allow more cover crop acres to be seen in central and northern Illinois where they aren't so common uh, because we have uh, producers in Kentucky that are, are working with precision planted cover crops and strip 
strip till uh, with the tillage system, just like we're talking about in their uh, double crop uh, wheat, double crop soybean and uh, and corn rotations down there. So it is being done north of us and south of us and kind of in, in between. So we've got a lot of opportunities to help uh, adoption in places where it, it can really make a difference on some of the environmental issues that, that we're facing in, in agriculture as a, as a whole. What kind of challenges are we going to see whenever we go to establish this sort of system, as well as once we get into the system, what are we going to see? Well, mindset is an important thing for the for the new adopter. And as I do more meetings and involved in field days across a lot of the Midwest throughout the the course of the, of the year, I'm it's more common to be approached after the fact by uh, more and and larger operations that when you really get uh, down into the conversation with them, they know that it would be best to move into that direction somehow but the way to take that those first couple steps and mitigate that risk is is something that uh, keeps people on, on edge so i think projects like this to where we can effectively demonstrate these things that are working and we've got uh people that we uh reach in our training uh, uh soil health training programs that barry and i are involved with in in different uh places around Illinois and Indiana especially that we can share this information with a lot of the technical assistant providers their retail agronomist and those types of things to make sure that that information is out there uh, to help farmers uh, figure out the best plan of attack for their particular uh, operation so I think the mindset is the is the most important thing to have a good plan and some confidence that we've got the right team and the right resources behind us to to uh, take off in this uh, in this direction with with some confidence that it can it can work and I think that's that's pretty important as far as as equipment of uh, we can make this work with with common uh, grain drills and air seeders that are that are common across about any any farming area that that you go to. Uh, in this case of incorporating the actual strip tillage with with that, I think the uh, the availability of the of the strip till uh, equipment and bars and those types of things and how that's going to uh, be provided is something where there's uh, maybe some opportunities for some custom work in that area, as well as some challenges to to get that. That, that new equipment in the in the right hands but the equipment is readily available uh, there's a lot of different modifications and options just like planter setups that we can get uh, that done to fit whatever type of soil situation that we're that we're dealing with so I think a lot of the the tools are available it's just a matter of putting the right plan and getting things in place to make it work for a specific uh, soil type a specific region and a specific operation yeah i would say when it comes to uh modifying the equipment uh few, few um professions have the innovation that farmers do you know so if you offer them almost a challenge to say well now you're going to have to modify this piece of equipment just a little bit that they, they almost uh, a lot of them get a charge out of that so 
once they decide they want to, and like John said, once they get their mindset in the right place and, 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 uh, most of the equipment modifications for, for most farmers is, is not, uh, not a roadblock that we can't get past. I, I don't think. And, and so, uh, in fact, I, I see a lot of, uh, once guys get into this, you know, you start seeing some adaptations that you weren't expecting, some some innovation and inventions that that you weren't ready for. So, you know, the people will put different air seeders, mix and match air seeders with their with their other other planter or other drill, and so they can put different mixes and different species of cover crops exactly where they want them to be. So, that part of it is uh almost the 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 more fun part for a lot of farmers is 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 working out the puzzles uh the the mechanical puzzles that's what they're really good at i was also curious about how crops in this system uh fare in the weather we had some drought droughty weather towards the beginning of the summer and then uh fortunately we got some more rain toward the end of the summer what have the crops who are in the system done compared to conventional crops as far as faring during these different weather events. I've sure seen it. I've sure seen it an advantage that this year, especially to the, to this particular system, even compared to full width uh, seeding of, of cover crops, because we were better able to manage the, the moisture situation in this, uh, skip row or precision planted uh, environment uh, and we didn't suffer a lot of the early season uh, moisture problems where when cover crops were allowed to grow in the dry spring that we had a lot over here in, in my area uh, if some someone let cover crops go to the stage that they normally would in our in our normal springs that tend to be a little bit wetter this year we were drier and the cover crop growing tended to make those soils exceptionally more drier than that so i think that in a lot of cases our our cover crop fields showed a disadvantage this year early in the in the year but now many of them are catching up because we have better moisture management and, and, and moisture conservation as we got that the rainfall in the middle of the season. And now we're finishing the crop in a drier uh, condition. The cover crop fields are, are showing an, an advantage. So, you know, every, every year is, is different and we need to play what the, what the trends and the averages are with this, but yet we need to keep the, the weather in each given season uh, in, in mind. And, but, and we've got the ability to manage that accordingly uh, with these uh, cover crops on how we time our termination. So I think that's one thing that we need to learn in. And in a lot of cases, because we hadn't had a dry spring to this extent in the part of the area where, where I'm uh, traveling quite frequently, we sort of got caught aback a little, a little bit, but I think that that's part of the, the learning, the, the system. And as we get better at managing the, these things, we can, we can take that into account better. In, in this system, any cover crop system, but but in this system too, uh, we just have to learn to keep a real sharp eye on the soil moisture and and the forecast and and weigh uh, whether we're going to need more moisture or 
or we need to pull more moisture out of out of the soil. And, and the beauty of these these systems is once we get comfortable with the management of these, we can use them to our benefit um, at both ends of that spectrum. And whether it's we think it's going to be too dry, we can use these to conserve moisture and or if it's too wet in the spring, which most springs are too wet, then we can use this system to help dry out that planting zone that you're going to try to plant into. As we start to wrap up our conversation, I'm interested in your final thoughts as well as where someone could go uh, to learn more about this. So let's start with Barry Fisher. Barry, what are your final thoughts and what advice would you give to farmers who would want to start into this system? Well, with any cover crop system, start with something that's practical. And one of the first places is from a practicality standpoint is if we can get cereal rye or annual rye grass seeded after corn and go into beans, make soybeans, if you're gonna be no-tilling and you're new to that, new to cover crops, make no-till soybeans into the, the like the cereal rye cover crop, make that one of your first moves. And, uh, and soybeans are so adaptive Start at the right place and keep it practical. Don't and and keep it practical from a size standpoint. I always tell them plant enough uh, that it matters to you, and you will keep a close eye on it. But but don't plant so much that uh, don't try something uh, at such a scale that it's it's great risk to your operation. You know, obviously, and most most people understand that. But um, but I think. Uh, um, you know, if there's a logical point, depending on your crop rotation and where you're at in, in, you know, geographically find that, that, that good, logical, practical start in and step in point and, uh, make that your first move, but then understand when you stop tilling the soil and you add a cover crop, you are changing the biology and more importantly, the biological delivery of soil nutrients to your crop. And so you can use that to your advantage if you understand some of those cycles that, that you're altering. Uh, but but if you don't understand that, then you can leave yourself, uh, especially for corn, you can leave it with, uh, you know, a, a nutrient deficiency at the wrong time, time period. So... So just kind of understand that and, and set yourself up for success. Visit some of these uh, uh, growers that are doing this in the area. There's a lot of YouTube videos on on the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative website. We've got a lot of uh, um, uh, videos. We've got a lot of case studies. We've got a lot of uh, information there, how to be successful. The Midwest Cover Crop Council has a really good you know, recipes for success to as an entry phase. And and so there's just plenty of resources out there. So there's no real reason that you can't find somebody that's doing it relatively uh, in re- relatively your, similar soils, similar climate and similar cropping system that you're uh, attempting to make this transition in. So, so I, I, the, 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 Information out there, I mean, is so good today uh, compared to what it was when a lot of these folks were trying it for the first time uh, that, that we're really lucky to have that kind of information. 
John Pike, what would be your final thoughts and your advice to someone who's looking to get started? I, I would agree with Barry that the picking the right starting point is critical to making this work. We don't want uh, uh, our first cover crop that we plant to be a cover crop that we plant corn into. Uh, so picking the right spark starting point is important. Having our nitrogen management uh, keyed up and uh, and having the the right plan is is where we want to uh, is where we want to start. Uh, as far as the precision planted cover crops and the and the things like that, I think that that's a good look, thing to be planning for as we go through that initial stage where we're planting our first cover crop into corn stalks to get ready to plant a, a no-till bean crop into the next year, and then use that bean crop to manage for the cover crop that we're going to plant for the corn the next year. There's a trend across Illinois and Indiana in, in a big part to plant soybeans earlier or maybe even before corn in a lot of cases and to pair that with a maturity of, of soybean that allows soybean harvest to take place uh, relatively early in the <clears throat> in the fall. So if we can manage our soybean crop to uh, push harvest a little bit earlier in the fall, that widens up the window of, of availability uh, to plant that cover crop for the corn. So we've got a wider window to establish things like the our legumes, uh, the, the crimson clovers, the hairy vetch, those types of things that need to be more established to make it through the winter to provide the benefits that that we know that they can so we need to manage the cover crop as well as the as the field crop that that grows in the in the summertime and the two can work hand in hand and i think that as we uh, sort of develop that that plan and keep all of these things in mind into you know the thing with uh, even herbicide selection for what we would use in our in-season plan with soybeans, that's going to have an impact potentially on the cover crops that that we that we grow. So be careful with the late applied residual herbicides that might have some interaction with with cover crops and uh, and a lot of those big things. But I think that you know, as I said before. Uh, as we look kind of in the big picture things going on in agriculture, and it's just important as important to keep the environmental side of things uh, close at hand as it is the agronomics and the economics of, of our systems. All of the research that we're doing right now points to the fact that to improve uh, water quality and nutrient management overall, uh, more acres of cover crops, uh, less tillage, and a sound nitrogen management plan, those three things work can take us a long way to meeting uh, those uh, those short-term and, and long-term goals. And we have the technology and the expertise available across a big area now to make this transition into these uh, systems uh, that, that are a little bit different than our uh, our uh, conventional mindset, make those transitions easier than when uh, maybe no-till would have been adopted in the early 70s or some of the first cover crop uh, cost share programs and, and things that maybe people have uh, memories of their dads or grandpas uh, maybe having some uh, some issues with back in, in history. But now we've got better equipment, we've got better uh, crop protection uh 
products and we've got better knowledge of how to make all of these things work together. So I think that we've got all the tools. We just need to work at figuring out the right plan to take that first step. And after we can do, we can do that, we can fine tune from there uh, to make things work uh, a lot better. Those are some good thoughts to close out our conversation on BioStriptil. Thanks for joining us and sharing your knowledge on this. Glad to. Thanks for having us. Good to talk to you, Elise. Yes, thank you. Good to talk with you, too. That was John Pike, research agronomist and farmer, and Barry Fisher, a soil health specialist, and he's also a farmer. And I'm Elise Koning for Hoosier Ag Today. This episode of the Hoosier Ag Today Soil Health Podcast has been brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. You can learn more about their efforts and see a schedule of events at ccsin.org. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, create your riches below the surface with healthy soils.